Bitcoin. Allah, do you know a lot about it? I know absolutely nothing about Bitcoin. Well, we're going to educate you twice over because on this episode of uh, A Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank, we're going to talk about Bitcoin. And as you can plainly hear, we, we know not enough about it even to have a humorous banter about it. No, no, no. We've got nothing funny to say about this. And in fact, just because we want to make sure that this isn't a funny episode, we're going to do this episode specifically on the technical aspects of Bitcoin. So prepare yourself for uh, blockchains and algorithms and all that kind of stuff, which just blows my mind. It blows my mind so much it's blown it into next week. And next week we'll have a second episode on Bitcoin. Uh, yes, where we talk, well, we tried to talk about what some real life applications of Bitcoin might be in the sense of how do we use that virtual currency in the real world somehow. So you can listen to this one and then you can come back next week to listen to the other Bitcoin unless you're a smart person. And what would a smart person do? They would subscribe immediately. Oh, so then they wouldn't have to remember that next week is going to be the rest of the Bitcoin stuff. They'd just be able to subscribe and it would appear on their smartphone. Smart being the key word there. Yeah, exactly. And don't worry about the, all the technical stuff if, if Matt's intro kind of um, uh, sounded too intimidating because if you want to, you can cheer yourself up by listening to our extremely uneducated questions about bitcoin and maybe some of those will will make you laugh at us i didn't want it to be intimidating if i wanted it to be intimidating i would have said this week bitcoin but i'm not going to do that that would have been more dramatic than intimidating perhaps. so yeah let's just say casually this week bitcoin oh yeah bitcoin nice We've just been talking about how we're going to ask stupid questions and that um, our guest should bear with us. That's probably because uh, he actually has some fairly scary powers, doesn't he? We're joined by Marcus Wilms, who is in the, uh, in the systems and data management area of uh, the finance directorate at the European Investment Bank. But in his earlier days, had some, uh, some physical capacities that are quite scary. Is that right, Marcus? Well, um, I did some heavy lifting when I was younger, at the age of, I mean, started really early and then around up to 23 or so. So how much did you lift? So that was, um, yeah, I mean, I weighed around 100 kilos and uh, I could lift two and a half times, uh, do squats, deep squats and stuff like that. <clears throat> when I do things, I go, uh, let's say, to, to, to the max and uh, I, I, I really push myself. And that's what I did with sports, and that's what I've doing, been doing with languages. And so stuff that I do, I, I like to push it to the limit. So Ah, well, people have certainly been pushing Bitcoin to the limit of late. Or is it the limit? Well, that's, I suppose, what we're going to find out. Uh, we're going to talk about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general. So let's start with actually saying, what is a Bitcoin? Is it even a Bitcoin? Well, I would put it this way. Bitcoin... Um, is actually a platform or a network <clears throat> as well as it is an asset and a cryptocurrency. So maybe let's start with um, the network part. So it's a peer-to-peer -peer network, uh, meaning so if you remember in the early 2000s, you had all these file-sharing applications, Kazaa, uh, Emu, Donkey, and all these stuff. 
Um, and so it is similar in the sense that all the computers which interact in, on that network, they have more or less the same function. Um, so it's a network um, and it's a platform. And so if I take my second point that it is an asset, it's because if you invest in Bitcoin, then um, actually you um, invest in the platform and in the community and everything that is around with it and that goes with it. Um, and it's also a cryptocurrency um, because it fulfills really all three functions of a currency, which is a medium of exchange. So meaning for goods and services, you can get uh, you can buy goods and services with it. Um, it's a store of value, which is quite self-explanatory. Um, and it's also a media, uh, sorry a unit of account, so you count your you can count your wealth in that particular cryptocurrency. Okay, well let's go back to the network part first to to understand it. So uh, so basically, if I invest in a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, uh, it means that um, that I add my computer's power to the network so the network becomes bigger stronger um what exactly does that mean what what does that do how do i uh, benefit from that right let's um, okay you you said invest and on one side you said also if i participate in the network so there are two parts of it one is really so if you want to actively participate in the network by giving computing power to the network or if you invest because you buy bitcoin on an exchange and um, basically invest in that way so if we look at it from the technical point of view first of all i think we we should probably address what um what uh, problems bitcoin solves or has solved and why it is so revolutionary i would say so let me expand on that. Why it is revolutionary, it's really because it solves, uh, before Bitcoin, a long outstanding problem, which is the problem of double spend. And the problem of double spend means, basically, if you're in the physical world, um, so what prevents someone to duplicate a 10 euro note? Now, the central bank um, gives certain uh, paper requirements and printing requirements, printing techniques, so that's um, easily understood. And in the digital world, what prevents someone uh, actually to copy over zeros and ones from one place to another? So that before Bitcoin was really, really hard to achieve and it was actually impossible. So that's really the re revolutionary aspect of what Bitcoin has solved. So that's the blockchain part. Let's say that is, the, that is actually the Bitcoin uh, part in itself. Ah. Yeah? And the second part of this is also what Bitcoin has brought forward is actually to come to a consensus on the network. So basically to uh, have a common understanding that these machines have a common understanding what the current state of the network is and what the past, the history has been. And there have been consensus algorithms um, before, but they were never on a uh, decentralized and untrusted network. So is this that, is about... Yeah, sorry. So just to take a step back... The double spend problem that you mentioned, that was the, the problem how to avoid uh, someone basically counterfeiting money. Exactly. And, and how to avoid someone doing that online. And Bitcoin solved that problem exactly. by establishing that kind of a standard, um, the standard to shared information on the network. Yes, basically by uh, making sure that a transaction which has been done has not been done before. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's how, how it has solved this. And um, yeah, that is the revolutionary part about Bitcoin. 
And uh, it's really about uh, moving value over the network. And before, it was not possible like this, but um, really since 31st of uh, October 2009, um, since the white paper came out, actually this has been uh, possible. The white paper? What's that? It's a white paper. A white paper is um, basically a, a document which technically deci- uh, describes on a functional level um, the requirements of a new platform and a new architecture. And um, so that was uh, published by an unknown author called Satoshi Nakamoto, um, or a group of people, it's not really known. Um, and since then, this platform is in existing and in production, really. So you've touched there on, on the origins of Bitcoin. And the, I'd say that maybe there's two times when it has become publicly uh, talked about, let's say. One is it's when it started and its early stages, all the mystery about who or more than one person who invented it, let's say, or developed it, and whether it was being used by criminals to avoid uh, oversight. And then more recently, it's been the, you know, the sudden explosion of the price and all the fluctuations. So let's talk about the first part of that, the, the origins and the, the, the shady reputation that it got at the start. Did mm-hmm. it really deserve that? Um. Mm, I would say no, it did not deserve it, but there were reasons for 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 those uh, let's say uh, for those um, uh, attributes to it, or why people, um, I mean, made those connections with it. One 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 thing is certainly media, and then yes, I mean, in, quite in the beginning, um, it was uh, the very very early part was really where you could use it. The marketplace was Silk Road, and as we know, uh, Silk Road was. Um, uh, a legal marketplace where things were traded, uh, and uh, Bitcoin was used for that. But if you things look, like drugs and, and yeah, illegal and, trading, and and illegal, illegal trading, illegal services, and so forth. And uh, I mean, but if you look at any type of technology, new technology, it's really that. Um, I mean, illegal activity is there right at the beginning. If you look at the internet, if you look at cars, if you look any type of technology, it's because. Um, I mean, criminals need to make use of the new technology because they're forced to a certain to react in a certain way. It's not that I um, uh, uh, appreciate this or anything. It's just a matter of a fact. Well, I think a physical cash can also be easily used by criminals, exactly. right? Exactly. So it doesn't mean that we should outlaw cash. Exactly. Although That's... there are those proposals as well. Yes. Um, but I guess the the, the, uh, the the reason why this became so talked about was that that um, kind of like cash and unlike um, regular banking accounts, uh, Bitcoin accounts were not traceable. Well, actually, um, Bitcoin is very very transparent that we have to understand because every transaction is totally open on the on the network. Now, who is behind a given address about a public address, a public key address? Um, I mean, this takes more, let's say, more research um, and regulatory matters. This goes in, let's say, in that direction to really find out who is behind a given address, and this is all what uh, currently is in the press. So, basically, anti money laundering, KYC. To, to address that part. Um, yes, but you're right. Uh, cash has also been used for paying for illegal services. And um, yeah, uh, you brought one point up in terms of cash of disappearing. It is probably going to disappear probably sooner than, than we actually think. So, and also, we should probably make clear that, you know, does the EIB 
lending cryptocurrencies? First of all, I'd like to, to mention here, this is um, what I'm saying is my personal uh, view, and it's not linked Absolutely. to the, uh, I mean, it's not the point of view necessarily of the of the organization. Um, so we're, we're not uh, lending at the moment um, into, at, at, as far as I know, I've been approached by some people, what are, let's say, what the bank's uh, posture is. I cannot really say. Uh, these are other people in other departments who, who make these decisions. Um, but also I've been asked whether we would invest in ICOs and this type of thing. So at the moment we're not. Yeah, and we're not borrowing in cryptocurrency either. No. So we're not involved in that market. But of course, no. since all of the financial press is talking about it, it's, it uh, makes sense for us to cover cover it here on on our podcast. Mm-hmm. We'll get into some of the, the technical aspects of it now, maybe like uh, some of the phrases that we'll hear. So one is is blockchain. Mm-hmm. Can we really lay out what that really means? Okay, blockchain is, it's actually a data structure. So, and you will hear it interchangeably. People say, referring to blockchain or distributed ledger technology, DLT. Um, it's more or less the same thing. But in, in essence, it's a, it's a data structure. It's a way how data is organized and how it is distributed over the network. So it's um, a file? Uh, no, it's 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 well. You could closely consider it uh, as a database. In the beginning, people say it's technically not really a database, but consider it as a database if you okay. like. You cannot query it like SQL or, or things like that, but uh, SQL. Um, but uh, it is still, let's say, a distributed uh, database, a distributed ledger, one large book, if you like. So, and Bitcoin was really the first implementation of uh, what's known today as a blockchain. I would say we're today at least at least at version 3.0 of blockchain technology, if not even 4.0, depends on how you see it. But so coming back, what it is technically speaking, I'd like to uh, first uh, explain what a what a hash function is in in brief terms. Mm-hmm. So a hash function is a mathematical um, function, and uh, if you think of a hopper, I think that's the English word for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have variable length input on top, and fixed length output at the bottom. Okay. okay. So, okay, if I put uh, five liters in in a hopper, it will come out five liters at the bottom. Okay, and I, I appreciate that. But just physically think, okay, you have one one fixed size at the bottom. A hash function, but it also has is basically whenever I change something of the input one one bit, the output is different, and the consequence of that means that if I want to know what the output is, I need to guess the input over and over and over again and this is actually um it's part of the uh, um algorithm which is used in bitcoin which is called uh proof of work um which uses hash functions um so this is one one part of it another uh aspect of hash functions is basically the the output is easy you can easily actually um verify the output but you have to guess more or less the input, and that takes computing power, and that uh, actually takes a lot of resource, a lot of a lot of electricity. So, having said that, one of this function uh, or the how Bitcoin works and how Bitcoin makes it secure is by taking something from the real world, from the, let's say from the physical world, which is electricity, burning that, and then actually converting that into the digital world. But this is just the consequence, and this is just how to make the network secure over time. It's not the 
I would say it's not the not not the reasoning, but it, it it's part of uh, how how it's been designed. It's, it's basically what it prevents is that someone can change history. So if some if an attacker wanted to uh, attack the network, he would have to actually convince the majority of the nodes, which are the computers on the network, um, to uh, a certain about a certain past. So if you wanted to rewrite the past, let's say you you wanted to convince the network that you had made a transaction over a large amount of Bitcoin in the past. Mm -hmm. And you would have to do that in order to convince the majority of the network. That's known as the uh, so-called 51% attack. And in order to prevent that, with that algorithm, there are several algorithms nowadays out there, um, but Bitcoin uses proof of work. Um, That is prevented by, actually, you have to spend electricity because you have to run these hash functions. And so, this proof yeah. of work is what they talk, what they mean when they talk about mining. They spend electricity to guess the, what the, the data that goes into the hash. The the mining the the mining uh, function is basically so if you participate actively, meaning you have the full stack network, you have the full software installed. Actually, you actively participate in the network, and you run, you try to solve the mathematical puzzle. Um, so solving the mathematical puzzle is basically, uh, let me go one step back on this, uh, what it is before actually. The variable length input on the hash function is basically transactions. So transactions on the network, let's say between you and me, basically you have uh, public key uh, infrastructure or pu- public key cryptography, meaning I have a private key which is which, with which I sign a transaction mm-hmm. and uh, you have a public key. And so if I want to send a Bitcoin to you, I need your public key, which is public, which is available. Mm-hmm. So I make that transaction and I shout it out onto the network. Remember, it's a, it's a peer-to-peer network, so everybody will listen to it. Mm-hmm. The nodes who actively participate, they will actually tra- t- take that transaction. So it the, will f- the network will find out that your public key sent money to my public key. Yes, they will okay. see in, indeed. They will see those those tra- transactions. Uh, uh, this transaction is made, and they will see. Ha- they will they will realize has this transaction been made before or not. Mm-hmm. And that this is what those nodes will look at. And before it's in a pool uh, of uh, actually transactions which are not being uh, treated yet. Uh, you have to uh, give fees, higher fees, in order to make sure your transaction will be processed in time. Um, and but so, who, who, the, who gets the fees? Actually, go the, it goes to um, the network yeah, participants. Network. Network. Exactly. Yeah. So those miners, they try to solve a math- mathematical uh, puzzle. Um, it's based on difficulty levels. Uh, it, it, it varies, uh, and then um, actually they, they take those transactions and try to put them into into blocks. So they have variable length, variable length input, several transactions together, put them as output. And now how the blockchaining comes and the blockchain comes. So you have, uh, as I mentioned earlier, if you take one bit as input, it will change the output. Actually, on the previous block there is an identifier. And this identifier, you put it also part of your input in the hash function, and that links those straight data structures together. Mm-hmm. And this is how the block mm-hmm. chain comes together. And this is how you can say um, the longer you in the in the past, so the older the block is, the more secure it is because more and more computing power has run over it. More and more uh, blocks and hash functions have run over it. So and it's considered usually after six blocks. 
So, uh, and then in Bitcoin, the block generation is about 10 minutes. About an hour, after an hour, it's it's secure and your transaction is safe. Mm -hmm. And does that mean that like like every 10 minutes, a a new Bitcoin is grows so, or so like this can is, be mined? This is or? basically this is basically the mining part, and this, mm -hmm. it's basically a block. It's known as the block reward. So, and this is again, it's just the consequence in order to make the network secure, mm -hmm. because the people who does do this, they burn energy, and you need to pay them basically. Mm -hmm. At the beginning in 2009, the block reward was per block 50 Bitcoin. So, and and every four years it halves. So at the moment we are at um, uh, about. Uh, I think we have twelve dot five. We have twelve dot five Bitcoin. So um, there's six hundred and six six hundred twenty-five thousand uh, blocks per year, something like that. And um, so this will half. And actually, in twenty twenty-four, there will be no more uh, no, more, no more no block more reward. There will be no more block reward. No more generated. Um, so because that, there will be no more Bitcoin, there there's a no, finite yes, number of there's Bitcoin. There's a finite, right? finite number built into the protocol, and that creates scarcity. So, but will then people still be motivated to process those blocks? Yes, by fees. So ah, then okay. fees will be will be the let's say the element which makes this actually go forward. Mm. And uh, but, but if you think of Bitcoin really as digital gold, that is really the closest association. But for the for the for the blocks, a lot of people on the network they all have to spend their computing power power uh, to 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 manage that process, right? But only one of them gets the prize. Exactly. So it can also be a mining pool. So have com you have computers, and this is why people say, well, Bitcoin is no longer. Uh, really decentralized because you have groups of people who come together and try to solve that mathematical puzzle. That's, mm -hmm. let's say, one criticism. So let's say some critics talk about uh, on, on, on Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, basically, and, and the, the, the node or the group of nodes, the mining pool, which has solved the mathematical puzzle, will shout it out and all the others will be able to verify it. Remember what I said earlier mm -hmm. about the hash function? It's easy to verify. They can verify and then they move on and then continue with new blocks. But is the solving of the puzzle um, a function of uh, only computer power or is it luck also? Because, you know, I imagine that if we have, you know, if we have 10 computers trying to solve a puzzle, there's a high chance that, you know, computer two will solve you know, five of them and computer nine will not get any of them. Well, it's, it's both actually it, as, as they're really randomly trying. Yeah. So they're really guessing. It's also known as brute forcing, if you mm -hmm. like. Um, it's actually, it, it, it is luck. However, the more computing power you have, the, the more you're high, higher the chance. And that's why Bitcoin has gone through four ha hardware iterations. Um, so it started really off with uh, CPUs, but nowadays we are with so-called ASIC, application-specific integrated circuits. Um, and this is hardware which is very, very uh, expensive and expensive to run um, and the energy consumption. So basically the miners need to be professionals and that's why they, you have some um, projects which have forked off the, um, off the Bitcoin core network uh, and to try to address that. But Are the miners good guys or bad guys? Because, you know, if I'm... Uh, someone who owns Bitcoin, let's say, and then there are these miners out there doing this. Are they somehow 
breaking the code and no, spoiling no, no, the no. whole thing, no, or are no, they no. making it grow? No, no, no. They they're not spoiling it. They don't um, they don't change the code. Um, if you change the code, you would have something which is known as a fork. Um, and for that, in order to make be a fork successful, you need to convince the community. You need to have enough people who support it because otherwise your fork will just die out. And um, there have be, has been one uh, fork which was initiated mostly by miners because of this problem of block size. Um, and today it's called Bitcoin Cash. That was the second fork last year uh, which happened. And uh, there actually... Uh, the block, si- block size was was uh, being made larger, but in general, you personally, you think this is a sustainable thing? That this is something that will uh, that has uh, inherent value in itself and uh, will will prove to to carry that value over long term. Well, I think Bitcoin is here to stay. So if I look back three years ago, um, everything was it wasn't so hundred percent clear and how things work out and so forth. Um, in my opinion, Bitcoin is here to stay. Um, whether it's sustainable in terms of any energy consumption, green planet, and all of this, we just have to remember this is the underlying algorithm, and the algorithm can be changed at some point in time. Just enough people have to put their head around and say, "Look, let's do something else." Um, and I mean, it's not that simple because, uh, okay, there have been, let's say, long discussions in the past how a governance problems really because Bitcoin was never meant to be governed. Um, so there were long discussions, but in essence, this is possible. And if you think of, um, uh, if you think of uh, quantum computing, which can put a threat actually to this type of algorithm. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'm pretty sure if it really... I mean, we have already quantum computers, commercial quantum computers out there, but when they become, let's say, more used and so forth, I think people will then change and just change the underlying uh, algorithms and so forth. A threat in the sense that they could break the code and go back, as you say, and change history. Exactly. They could do it, just mine it very quickly, right? I mean, mean, process the whole thing very quickly. So that's the first of our episodes on Bitcoin, the first of two. The second one coming next week will look, as we said, at some more uh, real-world applications of Bitcoin, if there is such a thing as the real world. Am I getting too philosophical there? Um, I I don't know, and I don't know if there are any real-world applications of Bitcoin either, but I'm sure we'll find out. Well, tune in next week, as they used to say in the days of radio, or subscribe, as they say now to this podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on Spotify. Yes, finally, on Spotify as well. And also get in touch with us on on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Allar Tankler, A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R. I'm at E-I-B Matt, E-I-B-M-A-T-T. You could also tweet uh, at Taylor Swift and tell her that on Spotify she can listen to a dictionary of finance, uh, which is probably what she wants to do in her spare time.